0: In the name of the true and living God, amen. Amen. Please be seated. A friend of mine when I was growing up lived in a neighborhood where all the neighbors around his family decided that they wanted to put up a gate and make it a gated neighborhood. And my friend and his family were not into this, and a vote was taken, and they were in the minority. They were outnumbered by most all of their neighbors, and of course, they were upset when they were getting closer to actually building the gate. They went out to all of the households and they said, you know, if you've got people that you want to put on the list so they can come in at any time, give us your list of people and we'll have them stored up at the booth. So my friend's dad, who happened to be a lawyer, Um, and was able to think rationally about this. He he decided he would bring them a list of all the people, and and he did, and it was the local phone book. (laughs) He said, any of these people can come and visit us at any time. Well, they laughed, uh, but they didn't like it, and said, no, can't do that. As the gate was close to completion, all of the households were given an electric device that they could use to open the gate when they came, driving up with their cars. And so my friend's dad, who was still upset about it, took the device and he figured, well, it's his device. He can do with it what he wants to do. And he taped it so that the button was constantly pressed down and he threw it in the bushes. (laughs) So whenever the gate would close, it would automatically open right up again. And that worked until the batteries wore out. And then they weren't able to continue on. It's easy to point fingers. But the truth is that there are invisible gates and barriers everywhere, many of them ones that we build ourselves. There are chasms that grow between people. It is all too easy for people to find themselves on one end of a chasm and not even know it, just like the rich man in this morning's parable to be walled off from others and from their needs. In the parable, we are introduced to two people. There's a rich man, and there is a poor man, a very poor man. And interestingly, the poor man is the only person in any parable that Jesus ever tells that is actually named with a name. And his name is Lazarus. Strangely, the name Lazarus, which was a common name at the time, and one of Jesus's close friends had the same name, Lazarus, but the name means the one whom God has helped, and it doesn't seem like God has helped this Lazarus. Incidentally, the rich man who is not named um, is traditionally referred to as Dives, which just means rich, and you'll hear it in one of the pieces of music sung a few minutes later. Uh, Dives and Lazarus is what some people think of for this parable. Interestingly, this man who in life was barely given a name is given a name by Jesus. And his life is terrible. He sits out in front of Lazarus's, I mean, the rich man's gate, hoping for scraps of food that he can eat, and his body is covered in sores. And we have that detail that even the dogs lick the sores on his body. And you might think that the dogs licking the sores are some kind of comfort for him, but in fact, it's the opposite. It is a humiliation to have the dogs there and licking his wounds, and he is so weak, he doesn't even have the strength to shoo the dogs away. Well, suddenly both of the men die. And now the rich man is found on the other end of the chasm that he has built. And Lazarus is being embraced by Abraham. And the rich man, notice, he he sees Lazarus really for the first time. Perhaps the only reason he sees him is the company he now keeps, right up there with Abraham. And Perhaps he's thinking, well, this man can now do something for me. And sure enough, he still commands him as if this poor man is his servant. He commands him to cool him off with water. And then when he won't do that, he tells Abraham that he needs to go and warn his family. You know, the rich man is not actually depicted as being a terrible person. He's not depicted as being an evil person at all. Just somebody who is completely clueless. Somebody who is not able to open the doors of compassion and to learn to care about another person. The story makes many points. One of the points, of course, is that we cannot take our wealth with us. Another point is that it matters to God how we treat others especially those who are disadvantaged. Another point is that ultimately God will provide the justice that the world often does not give. And perhaps the most significant point that this story intends to make is that it teaches us that we need to beware of the chasms that separate us from each other. The chasms that close us off to compassion. The parable is about the importance of not walling ourselves off from those who are in our midst, those who are actually our neighbors, especially when our neighbors are in need. That chasm between the rich man and Lazarus, God didn't put that chasm there. The rich man did it all by himself. These chasms that we create are also ours to close. What's the opposite of a chasm? It's a bridge. Caring for others and not only for ourselves is how to live life that really is life in the words of 1 Timothy. You'll notice too that in this story, as in our lives, there are different forms of currencies So you hear the word currency and most people think about money. It's a a word that is about, um, you know, wealth and, and the currency of the world. But there are other currencies. There are such things as holy currencies that also have value. And these include love, time, patience, compassion, and many others. And sometimes we get to transform our worldly currencies into holy currencies. You may be aware that we are now starting to look toward next year as a church. This is the beginning of our stewardship campaign, and we're looking toward how we will support St. John's ministry ahead. We're on the cusp of an exciting new chapter at this church, but it will take all of us to support what will be possible. We are blessed at last to have a full clergy staff and to have a full-time music minister and to be more fully staffed with our operations and with our program support, which is especially important now after a number of challenging years where everybody was really pushed beyond our bandwidth. We are so blessed to have an excellent team of people here on our staff, and we want to be sure that we can support them in a sustainable way. And in the meantime, we also are blessed to have a beautiful and historic but very old set of buildings, which constantly need attention. And just being downtown, of course, is an expensive place to be located, especially as Costs are always going up, and especially so now. So this year, every dollar pledged will make a real difference. Pledges of all sizes, large or small, together will help us be able to do the work that we're called to do here as a church. It's also true that when you give, it does something for you. First of all, it always feels good to actualize what you value. When there's something you care about and then you turn it into action, you take some stored up potential and make it actualized potential, it feels great. Secondly, it is always a good thing when you have the opportunity to prioritize God. You've heard about the phrase proportional giving, Um, There's also a very feared word that some have heard, the tithe. Have you heard that word? I've heard some churches where the word tithe isn't allowed to be spoken. Um, The tithe is, you know, biblically the standard of giving, which is to give back 10%. Now, not everybody does that. In fact, I think very few people do, but I believe here, I can't say for certain, I believe there are people in this community who tithe 10%. I will say for me, My wife and I, Sarah, every year we get closer to an actual 10% tithe of our income. And even though it's hard to reach it, and we haven't got there quite yet, but we're getting closer, it feels good to do so. It feels good because proportional giving means you're taking a portion and you're dedicating that to give back to the one who gave you in the first place. So stewardship is just one of the opportunities that we have that we can grow as people of faith and to live a life that really is life. To live with open hands, with open gates, with open hearts, open to others, and open to God in our midst. Amen.